Hey, podcast. Today we have a really special treat for you. We had the opportunity to sit down with Professor Donald Shoup. Uh, we go through his backstory and talk about all the things he's done in the industry and all the books he's written and just uh, a lot of his current and thoughts on parking and where it's heading and where it's going and uh, what we need to do next. Hope you enjoy. Hey, this is Lester Mascon, and you're listening to Parker X, and today we're sitting with Professor Donald Shoup, author of The High Cost of Free Parking and um, Parking in the City, and several other uh, publications you might have read. I'm sure most people have heard of them. How are you doing today, Donald? Well, thank you for inviting me today. Yeah, it's been it's a good time. I'm glad you're, uh, glad you're able to make the time for us. So I just wanted to kind of just jump right in here. I think um, I'm sure most people in the in this industry know exactly who you are, but uh, I'd love to be hearing your own words, just kind of how things got started for you and where did you develop this passion for planning and parking from? Well, I think I kind of backed in, um, like many people in parking. You know, they don't uh, intend to go into the parking <laughs> industry or study it. Um, I... Uh, I started out uh, in my economics um, research on the land market, okay. uh, which was a good preparation, I sure. think. And, and then, uh, just by by good luck, uh, in retrospect, the uh, uh, California Transportation Commission asked me to write a uh, a report on on equity in transportation, um, and I thought, well, I don't know much about that, but I. You know, had learned about uh, economist definition of equity, and early on, I had seen research on employer-paid parking, and I thought that's unfair to, <laughs> to give free parking offer to, to offer free parking to all employees, but not all of them take it. So what what the employer ends up doing is giving a big subsidy p- to people who drive to work and nothing to everybody else. So most people would think that employer-paid park is a generous offer. We all want it. Um, but it didn't seem fair. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, it was counter to all the other policies that we have to reduce traffic congestion and air pollution and now global warming. So it seems to me not only is it unfair, but it's also doing a lot of damage. Um, uh, so... Uh, People don't have as much respect for things they don't have to actually have to pay for, or they're paying for it but not realizing the cost directly. That's right, and taking it away is out of the question. Um, I quickly learned that you can't tell people the players ought to charge for parking; you'll get nowhere with that. Uh, So I came up with the idea of parking cash out. um, uh, Which what what year was this? I think the initial research for the Transportation Commission was 1975. Wow, okay. That's right. And um, it took me a couple of years <laughs> thinking about it, but I came up with the idea of parking cash out, which means uh, a policy that if, if an employer offers you free parking, they have to offer you the option to take the cash value if you don't take the parking. So it's just treating everybody equally, giving everybody the same offer, either free parking or its cash value, which is certainly fairer than just giving you free parking or nothing. And um, also it makes people think, well, would I rather have the cash and carpool to work or bike to work or walk to work or take public transit to work? or live nearer to work, <laughs> something like that. Everybody would begin thinking, uh, well, uh, the, the parking is free in a, <laughs> if I drive, but I could take the cash and use it for other purposes. Absolutely. Uh, uh, and um, uh, it got, the idea got picked up. You know, academics write about these things, so I uh, published the idea 
and tried to, to publicize it. And the, the California legislature picked it up and uh, uh, enacted it as legislation in California. They, they, they uh, not exactly the way I thought it would be, but in a very good way. Politicians <laughs> are very valuable in figuring out how to make compromises. <laughs> uh, because when the bill was initially proposed, it just said that if you offer free parking, you have to offer employees the cash value of it. And many employers who own their parking said, well, that's terrible because the city is forcing me to provide the parking, and now you're saying I have to pay employees not to use it. That doesn't make sense. So the, the compromise was that it only applies to employers who, who rent their parking spaces from a third party. Okay. So they pay cash to subsidize the parking. So if you're going to offer to pay cash to subsidize my parking, you have to say, tell me that I could take the cash if I would rather. Uh, I'm sure it's got to be equal to the cash value that they're paying to. That's right. For the so, spaces. So, so it's not taking anything away. It's just giving um, a new option. It's it's broadening the, the the subsidy to every kind of travel that you might make. And uh, that passed uh, because it didn't seem to step on anybody's toes. Um, uh, and it also applied only to employers of more than 50 people. So it's mainly downtown employers. So okay. I think it was that, um, uh, uh, getting it turned into legislation made me think more about parking in general and because uh, employer paid parking is a small part of the whole picture. And, and I just... Uh, began to look at it as I began to realize it's the single biggest land use in any city, parking. And it's very mismanaged. Uh, most of it is free for everybody. Um, uh, so I think and it's very valuable land. So we, we have um, expensive housing and free parking. That didn't seem fair either. <laughs> that doesn't make uh, a lot of sense, does it? <laughs> and I began looking at minimum parking requirements that uh, cities require a certain number of spaces for every activity, uh, whether it's a bowling alley or a nail salon or a barber shop or whatever. You look at the city zoning codes, there's these, these very elaborate tables. It looks very scientific until you begin <laughs> examining it. Uh, and that, that has a huge effect on how the city is built because nothing, the city won't allow anything to happen unless it has ample free parking. Uh, so that's why when you go to grocery stores or movie theaters, usually you park free. Uh, and when you visit friends, usually you park free. So everywhere, almost everywhere we go, we, we park free, except at universities. <laughs> like you had to pay. <laughs> How much did you pay today? It was $10. $10, that's right. Well, universities uh, usually charge for parking. Uh, and for a very good reason, uh, at least in, in, at UCLA, because the state law prohibits the campus, the university, from subsidizing parking. It has to be a self-supporting operation. Yeah, because it wouldn't seem fair to take students' tuition and use it to subsidize parking for uh, the, the students who own cars and, sure. and give nothing for the students who don't. So most universities do charge for parking. And I think here at UCLA that it, it, it reveals the cost of parking. Say so that if, if, if the driver has to pay for it, it's quite expensive. Um, at least it seems expensive to compare to what we usually pay, which is nothing. Uh, so I think that uh, I, I began thinking more in general about all parking policies and, uh, uh, and, and how we planned our cities in a very damaging way, that we, we planned it around the car, around free parking for cars. Um, so I think that uh, it, was a, it was a very fruitful academic uh, pursuit, especially because I had it all to myself, uh, that uh, universities are very uh, public about their concern for Fairness sure. and equity and equality, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, but within the university, they're extremely, uh, 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 even antique hierarchies that we adhere to, like you have professors and associate professors and assistant professors and seniors and juniors and sophomores <laughs> and freshmen. Everybody's ranked. Okay. Um, and at UCLA, the parking is distributed by rank as well. You know, the 
um, and it's not just the parking and the, is the ranking, it's the topics that you study. Say, international affairs is the overarching thing, very important, like what's happening in Iraq and Iran or with Brexit. Uh, uh, the national affairs are, are just almost as important. But when you look at state government, that's a real step down. And uh, then local government seems parochial. That's a very low status <laughs> thing to study. And then what is the lowest status thing to, to study in local government? Well, that would be parking. Uh, so I've been a bottom so no, nobody feeder. Was, nobody that, was fighting for that, uh, the right. Huh? That's right. I, I've been a bottom feeder all of these years, <laughs> but there's a lot of food at the bottom. You know, it's a huge industry that has been neglected by, by academics, or it was neglected. Now there's almost a feeding frenzy because a lot of academics have gotten interested in, in, in parking. And there's a lot of good work being done, but Still, most of our policies are stuck in the 1950s. I remember I was kind of re-listening to some of the uh, high cost of free parking, just thinking about how cities are just designed around the car. And, um, you know, I, listened, I read it a long time ago, and uh, it was good to re-listen to lots of parts of it. And uh, I, I just, I mean, thinking about a restaurant in a suburban environment where there's more land devoted to the surface lot parking around the restaurant, than there actually is the thing that you're going there for. Just, it seems ridiculous. <laughs> oh, much more. The, the standard parking requirement for a restaurant in the United States is 10 parking spaces per 1,000 square feet of restaurant. Well, the uh, average parking space with the aisles and the, uh, the entry is about 330 square feet per space. So uh, three spaces take about 1,000 square feet of land. So if you have to have 10 spaces per 1,000 square feet, three the parking more. lot is about three times bigger than the restaurant itself. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, uh, and a lot of times the, the spaces are unused. Um, so I think that that when you look carefully at parking requirements, it's, it's a house of cards. Um, that each, each parking requirement, taken separately, may seem reasonable. I have 10 spaces per 1,000 square feet, and who's to say it should be lower or higher? Um, but I think that it, it's based on uh, trying to estimate the demand for free parking uh, at the peak demand for free parking, and the drivers don't pay for it. I think, I think a city where, well, like L.A., where everybody happily pays for everybody else's free parking is a, is a fool's paradise. The cost doesn't go away just because the driver doesn't pay for it. You know, it's interesting if you were to, I sat with a real estate uh, or the real estate mm -hmm. investment trust recently and uh, talked about the uh, how they're always giving away parking to when they're renting out the office space. So they'll take this beautiful high-rise office space downtown and part of what the leasing department gives away to encourage people is is free parking up to a certain amount or reduced parking in some way. And we were just talking about that. Like that's like tenant improvements is usually what gets given away initially, mm -hmm. but that's a one-time fixed cost mm -hmm. where giving away like free or validated parking in some way that's ongoing. That's never goes away, and it just gets more expensive as time goes on. So it's um, probably one of the worst things they can do in that environment. Well, that's right, and it gives the wrong incentive to um, employees that that parking cash out can help to to reverse. That I was talking to one of our my students who said that his girlfriend had moved into um, a new apartment building uh, uh, in downtown L.A., um, and uh, he thought she was overpaying, you know, that the rent was, was uh, too high. And she said that uh, and she had moved there from uh, an apartment in the, in the San Fernando Valley. So now she moved downtown. And she said, well, my employer uh, uh, began to offer parking cash out. And um, I had previously driven to work, and I thought, well, I could take this cash and use it as a rent subsidy. Oh, yeah. And so she walks uh, three blocks to work. That's so nice. the parking cash out, it didn't just change the, the, the mode of travel from driving to walking. It changed where she lived. And, you know, there have been so many subsidies trying to get people to live downtown, <laughs> but simply offering people the option to take the cash value of their parking subsidy led to people wanting to live downtown. 
Yeah, no, I, it makes complete sense. Um, so if we back up just a little bit, what made you decide to write the the book, High Cost of Free Parking? Uh, well, I had written much of it as uh, as journal articles. You know, okay. a- academics have to publish or they perish. And I had written uh, quite a few uh, articles for academic journals that nobody reads. Nobody wants to read <laughs> academic journals, even know that they exist. Uh, so you, the, the standards are quite high. You have to have a literature survey in the article and a hypothesis that you're going to test and the data you're going to use <laughs> and <laughs> what the results were. So I had done that about certainly about employer paid parking, looking at uh, firms that uh, had uh, begun to offer cash out and see what the change was. Um, or uh, uh, compare two employers, one offers free parking and one charges for parking. So okay. you can see what are the effects. And I did a, a, a large study for the California Air Resources Board looking at what happened when employers began to offer parking cash out. And um, we had a lot of data from, they surveyed all employees every year uh, both before and after, and on average, I think the uh, for all of the firms taken together, um, uh, about seventeen. Uh, 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 let me see, seventeen percent of of, of of commuters shifted from solo driving to another mode. You know, and we've tried everything to get people out of out of cars, yeah. uh, but all it took was say, "Well, you can take the cash value of your parking if you don't take the parking," and the people said, "Well, I'm better off." You yeah. Know, even uh, you have to pay at, uh, income tax on the cash that you take, so that I'd rather have seventy dollars after cash than a hundred dollars worth of parking subsidy. So it shows that the parking subsidy is very wasteful is that they cost the employer more than it's worth to you and it increases traffic congestion. So I think I had done a lot of studies like that and then I uh, began uh, looking more at, at uh, uh, planning for parking, you know, what we force uh, uh, developers to provide or businesses to provide. And I began to think, well, this is uh, this is crazy that that students learn nothing about parking requirements and planning a school because the professors have nothing to teach them. Uh, that uh, the the only thing that planning students learn about uh, parking requirements is that whether well, the ratios probably the tried and true ratios. Uh, well, they don't even know that. All they know is that if they're trying to develop, uh, say, low income housing it doesn't pencil out because of the required parking. Uh, so they know it gets away in, every, in the way of everything they really want to accomplish. So they want to get people into mass transit, if they want get walkable neighborhoods, if they want active transportation, or a lot of our bicycle uh, advocates mm-hmm. that, that um, <laughs> the minimum parking requirements get away in the way of everything they want to do. Uh, but when they graduated and worked for a planning department, all they could do is a uh, um, enforce the parking requirements. Uh, they can't go off the. When they vary so wildly from city to city, like you were saying, I mean, it, it, they got to learn it from wherever, they, they, wherever they're yeah. heading. But they're not committed to it. They they, they just think this is the way it's always been. Um, so uh, I uh, spent a lot of time in other articles saying that this is madness. Um, <laughs> and and. You know, half the planning profession thought I was crazy, and the other half thought I was daydreaming. Um, but when when I assembled it all into the book, the book did, wasn't written from beginning to end. Okay. Uh, as something new. It was assembled after many years of research. I guess I'd been doing research, well, for uh, 30 years worth of research, went into that book, putting it all together. Uh, and then I think because it was published sort of by a senior person in the planning profession and it was published by the American Planning Association, it, it seemed to have some authority. It's, it's almost as though the Vatican had published a book recommending same-sex marriage and the Pope had blessed <laughs> it. You know, it, 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 was that, it, it was that much of an attack on the status quo. It so, was it was it was required reading at our organization. So when new people we were bringing in uh, to our company, 
I mean, we had, you know, 10 copies of it on the shelf. And one of the first things we did was hand them the high cost of free parking as a book they had to read, especially if they weren't from the industry. And we were bringing them in. Well, I'm surprised at that because, you know, some people in the industry thought I was crazy as well. <laughs> the parking industry. Because um, uh, here was a guy from the outside uh, complaining about <laughs> current practice. Sure. And I, I had never had any experience uh, of the sort that operators have and, and parking consultants have. Well, I've done some consulting, but not the way most parking consultants do it. And um, some of them felt that I was uh, uh, a typical academic, sort of muscling in with no real experience. On the other hand, other academics really, I mean, uh, other planning uh, consultants picked it up. And they, they, they really, they were in a position to see that, I hope, that I was right. That they 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 do from their personal experience that what I was saying about parking requirements was crazy that 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 they were crazy. Well, just applying these general rules to them in any sort of fashion just doesn't make any sense when you can consider. Um, I, I mean, the, the biggest thing is how many employees. Like you look at the same square footage store that has ten times the employees as the other, and then all of a sudden you're. Uh, trying to apply just a simple matrix to it, and one has completely different level of activity and different people showing up, but just going by square footage and then not taking into account public transport and all the things that go along with it. I mean, it's... I understand why they've tried to simplify it and try to make it easy, because it would be mired down in like a one-year study on every single bill, every single exactly. new store. But, but I think that, um, that uh, some people in the parking industry um, uh, maybe they didn't agree with everything I said but they they thought in general what I, what the criticisms were, were were accurate so the, the the book was published in 2005 as introduced at the American Planning Association meeting in San Francisco in that year and uh, uh, in the academic reviews of the book they, they, they were generally very glowing uh, but they said well it's, it seems uh, uh, worth a try, but probably too difficult uh, uh, to to <laughs> to reform. Um, it's almost like uh, as as difficult as, as the prohibition or the reformation. You know, it's just not a huge social change <laughs> that we can't handle. Um, but uh, the the, the uh, American Planning Association has its um, uh, this year's meeting in San Francisco again. It, was, it returned to San Francisco after 14 years. And uh, during those 14 years, San Francisco had done almost everything I recommended. They began charging a variable demand-based prices for on-street parking, and they removed all off-street parking requirements. So what had seemed unthinkable had begun to be doable. Um, and surprisingly, there's been no backlash. There's been no uh, uh, no uh, no opposition. Um, and other cities have done the same. They Buffalo got rid of all of its parking requirements. Minneapolis, Hartford, Connecticut, uh, some smaller cities. I think uh, uh, have 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 done it and the sky doesn't fall uh, <laughs> that 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 more people are beginning to realize that the these park minimum parking off-street parking requirements getting in the way of everything we want to happen and they encourage things that we don't want to happen you know they encourage congestion they encourage air pollution they encourage global warming and they prohibit uh walkable neighborhoods they prohibit uh infield development so that the, the, they're really so counterproductive um, uh, but I think that still it's a long road ahead to, to get parking right so what do you think about like if you were to rewrite that book today like say starting from scratch with all the new influences the ubers and the lifts and the you know, I see birds all over campus uh -huh. and the lines those little scooters and stuff everywhere um, so, so to back up just a second, what I love about your research and what I've read is the practicality of it all. It, it's really, really practical solutions to things. I know the world wants to keep thinking about this driverless car and this like 20-year-out, yeah. like kind of like, you know, 
dystopian future of parking and kind of how we're going to transport. But Mm -hmm. if you think about the next 10 years, five years, what would you change? What do you think those influences are today? Like, and what would you say differently right now with those things coming? Because a lot of cities push back on the Ubers and Lyfts and the Mm -hmm. Limes and the Mm -hmm. Birds. I think they encourage more things that they want. Well, I had a chance to, to revisit this because uh, uh, I published a second book called Parking in the City, okay, um, which came out uh, just last year, which was the updating of, of the book and, 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 and telling about what has happened uh, uh, since then in response to the book. And um, so the introduction to it is about 50 pages long. It's a short version of the book, <laughs> updated with... Uh, since Uber and Lyft, and not Bird came along after that, but saying what I would say differently. And then I invited, I think it turned out to be 47 other authors, uh, practitioners, consultants, uh, and academics to write about what has happened in implementing these ideas. You know, how did they start charging demand-based prices for curb parking? How okay. did they, how did the city eliminate parking requirements? Uh, how do they uh, institute these parking benefit districts where you take on-street meter revenue and, and use it to pay for public services in the metered area so that everybody can see that, well, maybe these meters are not a bad idea if they fix my sidewalk, if they give me free Wi-Fi, if, <laughs> if they have... Uh, uh, clean the sidewalks every night, you know, that, uh, so those are the three basic uh, things I talk about is the reforms to remove all-street parking requirements, charge demand-based prices for all-street parking, and sp- to make it popular, spend that revenue I- in the metered area so that, so that the residents and the businesses can see the meters are on their side. You know, they're not working against me, they're working for me. Uh, if we didn't have the meters, I wouldn't, uh, have my sidewalk cleaned every night and, and pressure washed twice a month, uh, or I wouldn't have free Wi-Fi for everybody in the area, or say in Boulder, Colorado, they give a free bus pass to everybody who works in the metered area. So, I mean, would Boulder be better off if they had free on-street parking and nobody got a free bus pass? <laughs> so I think that, that telling those stories um, help, I hope, help to convince people that these these ideas, they weren't idealistic and utopian. Uh, they were very realistic and practical. And, and they're, 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 they're working, working in cities all over the world now. Uh, say Mexico City got rid of it, all its parking requirements, changed them to maximum parking limits, and began charging for uh, all-street parking and spending their revenue in the area. Um, I mean, because when you do that, it, it makes it less cost-prohibitive for local businesses to come into the area. And then they're, the revenue that the city loses from in lieu of fees, they just generate the parking revenue. Is that right? Yes, I think so. And it, 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 I think it, it took me a while to realize that um, uh, a planner should have known this, but that the parking requirements don't affect only new developments, say how, much, how many space you have to provide for a new restaurant. They, they have a second and even more damaging uh, 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 feature in older areas, it isn't say how many parking spaces you have to build. It said what we will allow to happen in a building. So if you want to convert a, a storefront from a shoe store, which requires two spaces per thousand square feet, to a deli and, or something, and, and, into a restaurant that requires yeah. 10 spaces per thousand square feet. Uh, because many people would go to a restaurant and the shoe store went out of business. Uh, you go to the planning department, they say, well, where is your required parking? So it, huh. it, it, it restricts what cities will allow. It doesn't say what, 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 how many spaces have to be required for a new building. It says what's allowed in an old building. So it's it, it, the, the parking wow. requirements make it very hard to revive an old area. Yeah. Uh, they, they just prohibit a lot of uses for you know a, a, a gym or a restaurant or um, anything that has a higher parking requirement. It, you just you just can't open that up. But once you ha- got rid of the parking requirements, say in, in Redwood City where this happened very early, it was a the planner there who picked up on the high cost of free parking very quickly. Dan Sack. Uh, 
uh, he was a park uh, planner for, for downtown, he thought, well, this would work. And they, uh, they implemented it. And it, Redwood City, it's in Silicon Valley. It's called Deadwood City. Yeah, it, I, it, I, it was a nice old town, but it, uh, the, the Main Street had no meters, and, and it had parking requirements, so you couldn't open restaurants. And so they, they uh, fixed the parking requirements and put in meters, and there was an explosion of new uh, renovations for restaurants. Just think of all the people that were employed and all oh, the yeah. sales tax revenue and the meter revenue. Uh, the, the parking lots don't employ many people. No, <laughs> uh, but if you, if you convert it to something like a restaurant, uh, it'll employ a lot of people and and and, uh, and, and make life better for the customers. Uh, now, I think everybody can be better off. So I think the world will be better off if if drivers always paid for their own parking. It makes sense. I mean, it changes people's habits too drastically. I'd... Yeah. And I think for the parking profession, it would be better. I think there, there's some uh, parking professionals that I've heard of. Uh, you probably have interviewed John Van Horn, who knows everybody in the parking <laughs> industry. And uh, he's written several uh, 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 on several occasions saying that some parking consultants say that they have to come into town and clear up the mess that was made when I had been there. <laughs> and I've always asked, well, well, can you tell me who what the, these cities are and what was the mess and how did they fix it that I caused? I've heard nothing in response. But anyway, <laughs> I think that, that, that parking consultants and the parking industry in general have a lot to benefit from what, what I've been saying. Because instead of just providing as many spaces as the city requires, you'll have to, as a new developer, you have to say how many spaces are the right number. And they don't know. They'll have to get a parking consultant. They'll know how much the spaces cost. And they know what the turnover is. They know a lot about, the, uh, the, uh, about parking, an awful lot. It will definitely be needed if, if every new development has to decide for itself how many parking spaces should I provide. Because it depends on what the customers demand and what, what's going to happen in the building and what the price is charged. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the most interesting uh, areas that I've been working on is Inglewood. Mm-hmm. So with uh, you have the new Ram Stadium being built. Yeah. Um, and they're charging for parking when you mm-hmm. go to that event. Uh, it's quite a lot. And then you have the Clippers potentially moving in there as well. Yeah. And then you have the, you know, the, San Diego Chargers relocating there. The Olympics are going to be there. The Super Bowl is going to be there. I mean, that the event schedule for that arena is going to be packed. Yes. And when you look at the surrounding businesses, mm-hmm. um, none of them have controlled parking currently. Yeah. You know, Costco's and all the other businesses mm-hmm. around there. Uh-huh. And now you're going to have this monster sitting there. And then none of the residential areas have residential permit programs. Mm-hmm. So all these things are, I think there's going to be Huge disruption in that area from uh, parking I, uh, rules and enforcement. Uh, disruption sounds bad. I no, think, think it would be thing. huge changes. But I, and I think one of the the the, 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 the big changes that will be important for, for your audience is the, uh, the, the requirement. We'll have to manage parking much before, uh, like sure. we never did before. Usually I start out whenever I go to a city showing a – an aerial view of a of a you know an asphalt desert with with a with a um, uh, a Walmart in the middle of it, yeah. uh, uh, and um, I say that you know there, there's ample free parking. There's no demand for any parking equipment or any parking professionals. But if we then allowed Walmart or uh, to uh, to to, to to build on the parking lot whatever they wanted. They could line the periphery with housing or offices or anything they want. The new urbanists called it liner housing. So as you walk along the sidewalk, you see a city. Behind, you know, 20 feet behind is a parking <laughs> lot. But you would, uh, so I'd say that in the picture earlier, there's no demand for parking expertise or equipment. But if you began to, 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 to create a parking market, you couldn't build all those housing around the Walmart without charging for parking in the Walmart parking lot and on the street. So <coughs> they would create a demand for more parking expertise and more 
um, uh, 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 well, revenue control equipment. The, so I think that the, you'd have to charge for on-street parking, so you'd want meters or... That's something Englewood doesn't do much of either now, is they don't charge for on-street parking they don't, either. So I think it would be uh, a terrific boon for the parking industry itself. And uh, it's fortunate for me that the technology, as you know, in parking has just exploded. Uh, just, just well, since, since the book was published, it had nothing to do with the book. It, it was how the technology is so improved. So th- I didn't think when I was writing that book, well, how do they measure occupancy? You know, how do they vary the prices? <laughs> uh, I, I knew it could be done, but I didn't know how it would be. But, but now there's all kinds of occupancy sensing and, and uh, variable pricing and that, um, that, that it, it makes it very practical to do what I was recommending. And I think I've been lucky that just because there are uh, so few other academics who have studied parking, that a lot of practitioners, you know, asked to come see me like you have today. Uh, and I think uh, one of the most interesting ones was from um, a, a major uh, meter manufacturer, and he was asking, like maybe you would ask, you know, what's ahead? And I, <laughs> and I always say, well, I've made so many bad predictions in the past, I shouldn't make any new ones. And I just <laughs> mentioned one of my wrong predictions in the past is that um, I'm a big fan of um, in-vehicle parking meters. Uh, okay. that a number of companies make them. They're big in Israel. And uh, I, at the time my book came out, they were spreading to campuses and things like that, that it's an in-vehicle parking meter about the size of a credit, well, an iPhone, and you, it's, it's like a debit card for parking, and when you start parking, you turn it on and hang it in the window to show that you're paying for parking, and then when you leave, you turn it off. And I said, I thought that was going to take off. I thought that was <laughs> the killer technology, but it didn't take off. And this, this, this guy who was the president of a media manufacturer said, oh, no, I think that's the future. And I said, what do you mean? We're just going to move to your phone. Yes. He, yeah. More than that, this was maybe even 10 years ago, he thought it was moving into the dashboard of the car. That's the next evolution, I think. That, he saw that a long time ago. And if you're a meter manufacturer and you see that uh, there are already uh, BMW has now already incorporated the the uh, the uh, pay-by-phone apps into the car so yep. that when you – the car has much more – uh, should I turn that off? Sure. Uh, you know, uh, hey, don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> Does it keep ringing? Or? <laughs> well, this meter manufacturer who, who, who could see that it was moving onto the iPhone and it was going to move to the car, and he knew that all his business model was endangered. So he had to get ahead of that. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, I'm more interested in that. So I just I think of my own vehicle right now, and I've got a guidance system, and and like I've got you know I have a, a GPS inside the vehicle in the dash of the car, and I never use it, ever. I use my phone. Even though I have one in the car, because it's just easier on my phone. Well, it's easier, I think, uh, 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 not from personal experience, but, but people told me about it, it, it for, for parking, paying for parking, it's easier if it's in the dashboard of your car, because already some cars uh, will uh, give you uh, uh, turn-by-turn instructions to the, sure. uh, the best parking space. Um, and then if it's an on-street parking space, as soon as you park, you just touch a button on the dash because it knows your credit card number. It knows where it is. It knows what the price of parking is. It knows everything. Or you and can that, just say it out loud, too. That'd be nice if it was all voice and, activated. And then <laughs> as soon as the car moves off, it starts stops paying for parking. So all, you don't have to do anything else. So your only, your, your only active uh, part of this is to touch the dashboard to say, I'm paying for parking. Yeah. Uh, so I think that that will probably spread to cars, um, and uh, it will make the... Uh, uh, I think the, from an it, on-street perspective, that's probably going to work really well. But And, you know, 
when you get a city, you get a really big environment for yes, that sort uh-huh, of thing. Uh-huh. Um, bringing the private sector into it's probably going to be a little more different, and I don't know what platform is going to win out. Well, we already have the platforms in places like Spot Hero yeah, we do. or, or yeah. Park Me. That that I'm sure. But even those are fractured. But right? I think I think BMW doesn't own one of the apps already. Park Mobile, and then. Uh, uh, Volkswagen See, owns pay by phone. So that will be incorporated yeah. into the car itself uh, so that they, it'll be frictionless parking, as they say. Sure. And, if, and the license plate recognition is one of the other amazing technologies that came out since 2005. At least popularized. And I think well, It that became practical to apply it to, you know, non... Not for only the reason of just Securing your revenue, which was airports do it, became more of a frictionless enabling or parking enhancement. That's right. It will be much more like uh, well, the, the the argument that I made would it, uh, in, the, in the book in two thousand five was that it'll be like paying for telephone calls. Is that you yeah, pay for when you pay for long distance calls, you you, you pay for as long as you talked, and 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 the price varied by time of day and for <laughs> whether you're calling it to Paris or to Santa Monica, mm-hmm. and that and you didn't think about it at all. See, all the charging was done. Uh, electronically, yeah. and you got a bill at the end of the month. Well, now I think it'll be the same thing with parking, except it'll show up in your your credit card bill if if, if they <laughs> sort of stay the same as they are. Sure. So I think that the, the 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 equipment manufacturers stand to benefit enormously from converting parking from a, a, a free. Uh, good everywhere into something that everybody pays for it. Where do you think the parking operator stands in all this? Well, I think that they they will benefit a lot. When we mentioned, I mentioned you earlier that UCLA has just shifted to um, uh, pay-by-plate mm-hmm. uh, permits, and they're so much easier. For one thing, when you when you uh, buy your permit, you do it online. You just re- report what your license plate number is, <laughs> and you give your credit card, and then um, it also stops sharing of permits as well. Yes, that, yes, exactly. It, it it has a lot of advantages. It's very easy to enforce them as well. But UCLA says it saves four hundred thousand dollars a year due to the shift from. Um, uh, uh, the, the old system with gates and, and tickets and things like that. So it's easier for the user, it's cheaper for the university, it's easier to enforce, and it's it's high-tech. So I think that the this high technology is ready uh, for uh, implementation everywhere in, in applications that maybe 20 years ago people would have thought would be impossible. You know, so, you know the parking meter itself wasn't invented until 1935, but most be- cities' parking meters are functionally identical. You, know, you put your money in and you hope to get back before your time runs out. <laughs> Has any other method of payment not changed in, what is it, 80 years? <laughs> that it, it was the most stagnant industry, maybe outside of North Korea, that, <laughs> that you can think of. Sure. Um, but suddenly it's in the lead in terms of the, the, the speed of change. Uh, that, you know, it's... Uh, I mean, I suppose operators are sort of worried about installing anything new because three years later it will be obsolete. I think you got to be certainly looking at something that's, and you know, for the first time ever, when I talked to someone um, in my normal, you know, normal job, um, they wanted to know our development path as part of their evaluation of which product they were going to purchase and where we were heading, and uh, that was the first time I'd ever been asked that. Oh. And I thought it was the most relevant question that anyone yes. ever could have asked uh-huh. as a definer of what, you know, what sort of technology they were going to purchase. They wanted to know where we were going with it. Well, yes, I could see that. That uh, I, I think that I do talk to a lot of uh, manufacturers, and uh, they're so customer oriented. It's a <laughs> wonderful industry that, that that they're always looking out some way to 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 improve what they can offer. Mm-hmm. And I'm impressed with the uh, ability, maybe all of them, but uh, some of them in particular, 
the the the, um, the data that they can provide to the operator uh, that the, it isn't just the 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 ability to, to to charge accurately, but it's to be able to display the data so that the operator can take um, can take it and easily understand it and act on it. Say San Francisco uh, does a good job that they. You, you're, I'm sure you've heard of SF Park where they vary the on street parking yep. uh, rates. To I remember the first incarnation of it with the. The sensors that were in the road. That's right. Yeah. Uh, that's right. And so, but they also do with the, uh, I think, seventeen off-street garages. See, the city owns a lot of uh, of, uh, of uh, off-street uh, garages. I was involved in the installation of the systems that went in out there, so I'm very familiar with it. That's right. So they vary the prices by time of day, um, and. Um, They've been able to change the uh, the prices in, in, in a way that makes sense for the city. They used to get, even in the public garages, they would give the early bird rate. If you got in before 10 o'clock and stayed for the day, you, you got a huge discount. Meaning if you drove in at peak hour and left at the peak <laughs> hour, you get a huge discount. So they, they scrapped that entirely. And now if you come in... Before the morning peak or after it ends, maybe before eight and after ten, um, you get a two dollar discount. And if you leave, I have never even thought about the evening that. pack. That's another two dollar discount. So they completely reversed the early bird policy and saying that if you if you arrive and leave outside the peak, you get a discount. And then they have different prices at different times of day. Yeah, that's crazy. When you think about a restaurant that offers like an early bird dinner discount, it's always during the off-peak hours. Uh-huh, But in yes. a garage, we're doing it during the on-peak hours. Uh-huh. So I think that, that the garages themselves will begin to think of, a, of a, well, the party operators will begin to think that, uh, well, we now all these data, we could use them uh, to uh, optimize it for ourselves. Uh, but also, uh, I think that will tend to optimize it for the city. And one of the things that I, I like is that you see a couple of uh, operations near the airport, they give a top deck discount. If you park on the top deck, you pay a lower rate, <laughs> which I think is right because the long-term parkers, you know, who are the ones who are going to save a lot of money, if you're going to park for an hour, it doesn't make any sense sure. to drive to the top deck to get a discount. But if you're going to park for a week, so the long-term parkers park at the least desirable spots of the people who are going to be in and out often get a, uh, they pay a higher rate, but they get better spaces. Yeah, well, covered parking should be a premium. If you can, instead of parking on the roof, it makes total sense. My car, I'd much rather park undercover somewhere so my car is not covered in dust and getting rained on and sun beat on the whole week. But some people think it's worth it if they sure. get a, if they get yeah. a discount. So I think Absolutely. that 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 the that the, uh, the the operators will be able to experiment with these uh, these options uh, if if it. Uh, if it becomes sense. only software, see, there, there, there are no gates, sure. <laughs> there are no tickets that, well, I suppose that many of them will have to have tickets for quite a while, but but they'll say like, they say that Google and, and Amazon, they give they experiment thousands of times a day, giving, well, suppose we give a discount on this at, at this hour, what does that do? Yeah. And I think that garages will be able to not do it that carelessly, or I mean that 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 uh, easily. With all the data points, they'll get feedback quicker on what the effects were, though. That's right, and uh, say in, in LA, you know, we have a, a, a program like SF Park. It's called LA Express Park. Uh, it, it operates a bit differently, but the it has the same kind of sensors and the same kind of meters. Uh, but uh, the data is collected. It's sent to France to be analyzed <laughs> by the uh, I think. Conduit Xerox used to do it, okay. but they have a very uh, highly mathematical operation there. They're very expert at programming and things like that. And then they send back the recommendations for prices for the next month. So I think that uh, it will become much more scientific, and um, I think that uh, the operators will be. Uh, it will enhance the profession. I think it will, because the 
parking profession doesn't have a great name in the world. Um, it's a really good point. Thinking about all the the data that now becomes available, the need for um, you know enhancing the talent within that area to actually use that data to make really intelligent decisions. That's a really good point. That, that's right. I, I'm sure it will improve the the uh, the, the self image and the public image of of the parking profession. Uh, because there's there so many things now where you, you know, you're, you're going to anything on campus is that the, that the, that the high technology is so impressive. <laughs> well, I mean, we have doorbells that take photographs of you <laughs> and, and tell you on, uh, you know, send you emails. And yeah. Somebody's at your front door. Do you want to talk to them? <laughs> that, that, that I think that parking will become, well, it will become. Uh, well, as they say, seamless, uh, uh, easy to deal with, but behind the scenes, there will be a, a very elaborate technology. I agree. I agree completely. <laughs> That's good. So I, I think we're going to go ahead and uh, we should probably go ahead and wrap up. It's a little longer than our normal episode, but it's been absolutely uh, just wonderful talking to you about all this stuff. Um, any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with? I think we've made huge mistakes in our parking policies in the past, and we're paying a very high price. Uh, but there's a real upside to the mistakes that we've made. We have a lot of land available for infill development right next, right where people want to live. Um, if we are able to convert these asphalt deserts into human communities, um, that uh, it will it, it will help everything. We could reduce the price of housing. We could reduce the length of commutes. We could improve air quality. We could reduce carbon emissions. We could make money. We could have the uh, uh, the uh, on street meter revenue will pay for a lot of public services, planting trees, uh, cleaning sidewalks, and providing Wi Fi. I think if if we get parking right. Uh, it, it will help uh, cities and the economy and the environment and the planet. Thank you. That was good. You're I, welcome. I certainly appreciate your time. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Having a great time doing this. If, uh, if you're enjoying it, if you're getting value from it, please leave some feedback. Please subscribe. There's a lot of people listening, not as many subscribers. So if uh, you could subscribe, comment, and share it. Please share it with your friends. Share with your family, tell your mom, tell your dad, tell everyone. Thanks.